1: I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time, taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. All right, come on in. All right. May I say you look healthier, stronger? and more vibrant and radiant than you did the last time we sat down here four or five years ago?
2: Well, I think you're, I think that's right. There was something brewing physically then. I was a lot more tired than I realized. Really? I'm, I'm much healthier now. Yeah,
1: I can feel it. Yes. I can sense that yeah. you are. And I swim every day. You still, I was going to ask you, yeah. when you're leaving this this conversation and you're flying yes. to go to yes. a speaking
2: engagement,
0: that's right. 82
2: years old, Yeah. what gives you your energy? I don't want to be corning, but it is life. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I live for the fulfillment of life, not just in myself, but in others. So when I get up in the morning, mm. I always have a goal. I think purpose is the definition of the life well lived. I believe that yeah, so sure.
1: strongly. And you've written over 50 books. And this one, I think, is designed for this moment in time. Mm-hmm. It's called The Time Is Now, A Call to Uncommon Courage. And I can feel from the writing of it that there was something in you that was driven to write this. This isn't just a book you're fulfilling because your publisher says
2: you need time for another book. No. What happened? Well, what happened is what's happening in the United States. I I feel very strongly Mm -hmm. that the country as a country and the globe as a globe is at a crossover moment in time. Yes. And I've been dealing with that phrase in my head for, for four or five years now. We are leaving. We have already left one form of life that you and I were taught from first grade on and is now disappearing in front of our eyes yes. to something new that is new but has no true north. Yes, It has no moral compass. It gives us no direction. What it does is shatter everything we've, we've been told all of our lives could not be shattered. And so I get up in the morning and I know my age, And I know where I've come from, a community of Benedictine women who spent their lives Mm -hmm. talking to me about the fully human life. And I see it, I see it dropping out of the grasp of the next generation. I'll tell you the truth, Oprah, I don't want to go to my grave and on that last sickbed say to myself, and you said nothing. Mm. So I just decided I would write that book, throw it out there, make that statement about what I think is happening, what I think we must do to confront it, and then I'll at least know that somehow or other you said I it. didn't let it go by in silence. Yes. There's too much silence yes. going on in this country Yes, because, you see, we've been taught that this can't happen to us. And so we're waiting for either the vending machine God mm-hmm. to save us or this great constitutional structure to to curb.
1: Yes. It's not curbing anything. Yes. And I think it goes beyond because I think it's easy for uh, the left to blame the right and to say, all of this is happening because of the man in office. It's easy for the people who are holding the office to say, oh, it's those liberals. And
2: the truth is, we got here because of all of us. Yes. And we got here on uh, half a paddle. I- I'm arguing that one of the reasons we're-, we're in this and don't know how to get out of it is... Um... Can you describe what we're in? Yes. We're in a complete collapse and crisis of American values. Well? Everything we took for granted, uh, civility, which is the basis for basis. respect for other people. Yeah, it's just common sense that's manners. That's just common sense yes. manners. The whole notion that character is a component of leadership. Yes. We're all functional and pragmatic now. Right. As long as it works here for me, that's all we need to have to know. We are losing a sense of the common good. I get up with this thing ringing in my head. You know, I, I don't think it's historically true, but it's attached. If, if they don't have bread, let them eat cake, only we're saying, uh, well, let them get a job, li- like I did, Yes. without a single notion that there is a whole body of the population for whom there are no jobs left. Right, or let them find asylum someplace
1: else, because we're, oh, we're full. Yeah, we're full. we're full. We're full. We're
2: full. And you know who's saying that? The The immigrant families. Who came here yes. because they would be welcomed, because there would be a, an opportunity for them. So I'm saying we're a, we've lost the rudder Yeah. And,
0: and we don't have another. So where shall we look for it? Did you know that it's Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Meve. Plus, you can help to support college access and student success when you donate online or roundup in-store to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at macys.com or in-store.
3: You like to watch new stuff, right?
1: Now it's so interesting because everybody feels this, or at least many of the people that I know feel it. There are a lot of people whose pocketbooks have been expanded with our current administration, so they're feeling like, what does it matter if my pocketbook looks good? Oh,
2: yes, absolutely. Yes, there are a lot and of people. You, you hear it on as as long as the economy stays good, everything else can deteriorate yes, around yes. us, and we're on the verge of an imperial presidency. And it didn't just start here. You're dead right. Yeah. This whole notion of government by executive order uh, tears away—I was a history teacher.
1: you know what what is upsetting to me is that people have gotten lost in Trumpism and blaming the current administration, and so it allows people to be stalled Mm -hmm. and also silenced and do nothing because you can just put, shift the blame to one person. But it is not about one person.
2: No, it's not about, I'm not sure it's about person at all. At all. To be quite frank. I believe that that part of our problem at least, lies in the fact that we have lost half the dimension of Christian spirituality. We see ourselves as very Christian people. And I believe that... And I think most of the country
1: still defines itself that way.
2: Oh, that's right. They do. There's a consciousness in us. This is a Christian nation. Yes. And I suddenly realized, who is the Jesus that, that we like to follow? We love to follow Jesus the healer. Mm -hmm. It makes us feel good. Yes. Jesus was good to women, raised uh, little kids from the dead, talked to babies, fed whole hungry crowds. That's who I am. That's what I wanna do. Yeah, we wanna follow that Jesus. That Jesus. Jesus the healer. Yes. But that's half the Christian dispensation. You turn Jesus the healer over and what you find is Jesus the prophet. This is the Jesus who contended, contested, confronted and challenged those who were making it necessary to feed the hungry, to raise from the dead, to give some dignity to. We've lost- weren't willing to do that. Weren't willing. And he was speaking That's up right. for the underdog. That's exactly right. Right. But we have lost that whole notion of prophetic spirituality. Yes. I love
1: that you start the book with a word about prophets. So the book, which I hope you all will give yourself the time and the sacred moment to explore, is called The Time is Now a Call to Uncommon Courage. But this, I particularly love the way you started. This book is about the prophet in you, a world gone badly askew, stands on the cusp between authoritarianism and freedom, between universal compassion and national self-centeredness national self-centeredness we have become the i can see it from certainly my point of view the reality television nation that has a reality show going on constantly everywhere in our lives that's exactly right yes it is a world scarred with violence you continue to say institutionalized fraud rapacious human degradation political suppression economic slavery and rampant narcissism. We see it all around us and can't even it's like it's becoming right normative. Eyes. It's so no it's normalized, yes. Yes it's yeah. normalized. Yeah. It's we're a selfie nation. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah we're a selfie and we're nation we're saying America first for the very first time in the history of this country America first in a global world. No matter what our development does to anybody else's development, we have no criteria, apparently, that will require us to ask what are the effects of our nation on the family of nations. You continue to say it's a world in wait. It waits
1: for some wise and wild voices to lead us back to spiritual sanity. Our world waits for you, and me for spiritual people everywhere to refuse to be pawns in the destruction of a global world for the sake of national self-centeredness. I just love that phrase. It's It's, real. It's real. I mean, I think that's a gift that you're giving us to articulate it so clearly. The only question is, will we take up what we know is our moral and spiritual responsibility, you say, to make the world a better place for all, To bring to life the fullness of creation for all. To bring about equality, safety, security and compassion for all. That is where the prophet comes in. The prophet is the person who says no to everything that is not of God. No to the abuse of women. No to the rejection of the stranger, no to crimes against immigrants, no to the rape of the trees, no to the pollution of the skies, no to the poisoning of the oceans, no to the despicable destruction of humankind for the sake of more wealth, more power, more control for a few, no even to death.
2: That's right. That is, and 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 why is the prophet? Good for you. <laughs> Good for <laughs> that's you. My, Go, that's Sister right. Joan. It's true. That is Oprah. so. We're not even poignantly talking expressed. In those terms anymore. No.
1: We're not. I don't using think we know how bad it is. I think it reminds me of the beginning of Ellie Wiesel's book mm-hmm. *Night*, where oh. Moshe the Beatle is coming and yeah. trying to warn the people yeah. of what's ahead. That's and is, no one can hear it. That's. No one can hear it. No one can hear it. So here
2: you are, Moshe the (laughs)
1: Beatle, in the form of Sister Joan, trying to tell us what's ahead.
2: this, This is the work of the prophet, you see. As little kids, we learned one thing. There was one God. There was one God. Now, if you really believe that there is only one God, then you must believe that that one God is communicating these messages in all languages, in all terms, To all colors and all dialects everywhere. We're getting the same message about human unity, about care for one another. And yet, at the same time, we're tone deaf, except the prophet who stays sensitive to those words. There's one God who wills good for us all, and that God wills me to be part of that goodness for all. Therefore, I have to step up. I have to step up. I have to I have to get into the human conversation. I have to participate in the conversation that's going on in this country right now about every poll tells us. Every single poll says the majority of Americans say we're on the wrong road. We're not going in the right direction. The majority of Americans. Yes. But they're saying it silently. They're saying it quietly. We need to begin to insist that this become our national uh, conversation, or internationally, we're already dead. We have gone from outstanding and stunning national country to average, and now I travel a lot over... Average in almost every aspect, yes.
1: Yeah. And further Except our except our armies. Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, except our military.
2: Where I go around the world, it's perfectly clear that we are becoming irrelevant. We don't even claim to be the leader of the free world anymore because subconsciously we know we're not.
1: You say on the very first page, even for the table contents, we need to reclaim our own moral compass as a people. We have a spiritual obligation to reshape a world run amok with the world around us cracking at the seams, and America in a state of polarization and political disarray. This book sets out to answer the most serious questions of them all. How do we really get out of the swamp we're in? So tell us, how do we get out of this? this is the real swamp, we're all in the swamp. Oh, the we're in the swamp. The swamp isn't just in Washington, D.C.
2: Well, I, I really believe it's the recovery we're in the swamp um, uh, because we've lost our moral way. That's right. We have no true north. We, we have no true north. We don't know where we're going or why we're going there. We have no criterion on which to evaluate our own position.
3: You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new cuz Hulu has new stuff all the time.
0: an episode and start your journey to greatness today.
1: And so, can you share with with our audience what that ultimately means? When you don't have a moral center, you don't have a compass, you don't have a true north, regardless of what it looks like. I think everybody thinks, "Oh, it's bad for a lot of people. It's bad for those people at the border, but I'm going to be okay."
2: We're going to be okay because the economy's great. Yes. The, however, When any institution upon which we depend begins to look like it's shaking in the wind or no longer the refuge that we took it to be, even if we're not sure why, two emotions uh, arise in a group, anxiety and passivity. So even the people who know that they're doing well right now are also afraid that maybe tomorrow the next shoe is gonna drop. Absolutely. So, there, so that, there's a low level anxiety, anxiety. yeah. And, and nobody gets hysterical. Yeah. Nobody rushes to the streets. yes. Very few people speak up even to their families because we're all, we were trained to be nice. We yes. were never trained yeah. to be good. Yeah. We're very genteel, but we are not prophetic. We are not honest. So what you get over here is the passivity that comes out of anxiety unexpressed. And that passivity leads to the silence that we're seeing now. Everybody knows that there's a storm coming from the north, but maybe it won't hit here. Mm. So we Preach, just, Sister Joan, uh, preach. That uh, is, God knows that's the truth. Oh, it is true, I it know is it so is tr- true. And I made up my mind, this, you know, I, I don't know how much time is left in my own life, but I had to get this said uh, so that it could be clear and at least it would be out there some way. Mm-hmm. Somebody saying, stop not only are we going in the wrong direction, we have simply abandoned the right direction. And the right direction is where we came from. We came from civility. We came from a care for common good. We came from compassion. We came as a democratic nation with the honor of compromise and now we have a Congress without conscience they won't even lean across the aisle we have we have partisanship tearing us apart and embedded in our very national framework and that's very recent that starts with Newt Gingrich and Denny Hastert and they institutionalized partisanship Denny Hastert told his party that he would not take a bill on the floor in which he was not sure that they already had a majority of Republican votes before they walked in. He wasn't going to allow amendments and compromise and any kind of give and take. We don't have a Congress that is committed now to the common good. They're committed to party power, both of them. Both sides. Both sides. I'm Absolutely. not talking about our side. Yeah. I'm talking about an attitude. Uh, the, the prophetic spirituality is this contrary attitude. And the contrary attitude is not a set of specific, pietistic, well-meaning, good-feeling, religious little acts. Okay. So prophetic spirituality.
1: Daniel Bergen, one of the prophets of our time you write about in your beautiful book, who decried the Vietnam War and turned that into a lifelong path to peace for many, said this, the prophet is one who speaks the truth to a culture of lies. And while saying no, the prophet also says yes, yes to equal rights for all, yes to alleviating suffering, yes to embracing the different, yes to who God made you, yes to life. And that's what prophetic spirituality yes. is, yes. is being able to step up to that.
2: And then it is sensitivity to that will of God for all, not just yeah. for America, yeah. for all, for yeah. all of us. Yeah. The one God wishes us all well. I now have a moral, spiritual responsibility. The one God by whatever name you by choose to call I him. By whatever, I don't care. Yeah, I don't care. And I don't think
1: he, it, she cares. No. No, no absolutely not. No, no, no. no, not at all. No. No, not at all. So... The time is now for us to get ourselves out
2: of the swamp. How do we begin to do that? It's not so difficult. I'm not requiring anybody or even assuming that anybody should rush to the streets with placards. But I do think they should begin to become aware of what's going on around them. How do you do that? Let's say that there's a bill in Congress how unusual on uh, on medical care. Yes how about that? We'll, we'll just guess at that that someday we might concern about be concerned about medical care yes. right? And so when I know that that bill is there and coming, yes, I need to begin to study. That's the very first thing Isaiah did. The, the biblical prophet Isaiah was completely rejected by his society, the most militaristic period in Hebrew history mm-hmm. and he couldn't get their attention. So did he call that a loss? No. He withdrew, he gathered groups around him, and he began to study and to prepare them. We have to study the legislation. We have to call our family together, call the club together, call the neighbor together, seven of you, five of you, and say, what are the implications of this? If this bill goes through, who will be affected? Who will be advantaged by it? Who will be disadvantaged by it? And then we have to magnify our voices. I tell people all the time, have you sent $5 to save the whales lately? If you haven't, don't complain to me about the the loss of the waters of the oceans or the destruction of them. Get attached, find your concern. Right, you pick a cause, I say any cause, 'cause because there's nowhere you can turn that there isn't one. And it's all coming into the same place. Yes.
1: And all coming into the same place. And you write about our fear to risk. This is on page 31. Our fear of not being popular. You say, there is risk to every life. Those who risk nothing risk much more. The Talmud teaches, while we keep our heads down, our mouths closed, our public reputations unblotted, thanks to the silence we keep in the face of great public issues of the day, pillars of society erode in front of us. The call to discern the difference between what is holy and what is simply unpopular, between what is and what should be, is of the essence of the good life. I think now it's like, People are afraid to speak up because you you won't get as many likes, you will be blasted on Twitter, you will be called out, you know? I recently spoke up for something I believed in and now all over Twitter people are like she's a snake, she's a snake, she's a snake. So, to stand up for what you believe to be the truth and believe to be right, you take a big risk, particularly in the world of social media. If
2: you and I were Greek philosophers, yes, and we were sitting here together in 3rd uh, uh, century BC, yes. we would be talking about the development of the human conversation. Mm-hmm. Human discourse, as you have just described it, mm-hmm. is over. It's over. It's all down to 64 or 144 little characters yes. that allow you to disrespect another person's ideas or situation. You can't make a conversation out of what you said yes. uh, on, in this public media as we know it. So when I see uh, the attempts of some people yes. to clean up Facebook, for instance, and right. I'll, I'll say it uh, in public because it's in every headline, and rightly so. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, the more tension, the more division, the more hatred you can spew, the higher your ratings. Whatever happened to our souls, Oprah? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: What you're saying here, and the time is now, is that we have lost sight of our souls, is what you're really saying. Mm-hmm. And so important because no one is calling that out.
2: Well, here's another thing that's blocking us subconsciously. Our pride as a nation, and I don't misunderstand, quite rightly, is the separation of church and state. But it has become now the separation of mind and soul. The whole notion that part of my spiritual development lies in my analysis of the effect of my society on everything around me is the measure of my moral value right. in this society. Yeah. We, we love to talk about living as Jesus lived, but what we mean by that apparently is living as Jesus lived in the first century rather than living as Jesus would be living in this century. Ah. Live as Jesus would live in this century. Preach, Sister
1: Joan. Yes, and I love what you say about the people who claim to be
2: pro-life. They're pro-birth. They're pro-birth. And I'll tell you why I know. Because they don't want any tax money to going to uh, feeding that child, educating that child, housing that child. I I say They just that, want you to be born. Yeah, just then, get born. Just get born. And, and then yeah. after that, you're on your own. That's right. We have no...
1: The, this is what I don't understand. The people who claim to be pro-life are also for tearing
2: children from their mother's arms right. at the border. Because it it's makes good no for sense. them. It not good sense. for the child. Yeah, Good for them at that moment, Yeah, at that moment. That's going to come back and bite you, bite them, Oprah. You can't sin like that in public as a people and not pay in your, you know, they then the you're con- continue the thought
1: because people think, oh, okay, it's all right for me to do, or think this. You and I know that the, that spiritual law is also physical law. That's right. What, what's going out is coming back. You
2: cannot get away from it. The 13th century mystic uh, Julian of Norwich. Everybody, everybody quotes her song, and all shall be well, and all shall be well, and no, all, all manner of, the only thing they don't realize is that that wasn't the sentence, that is the last part of the sentence. If you read the entire sentence Correct. in her 13th shooing, yes, she says, uh, we must understand that God does not punish sin. Hang on, God does not punish sin. Sin punishes sin. Think about it. Yes. If pride is your sin, then you will never have enough adulation uh, on the on the globe uh, uh, to be satisfied with. If lust is your sin, you will never have as enough sex, enough enough men, enough women to fill up your sense of physical power. Yes. If anger is your sin, you'll die from the ulcers that that uh, burn inside you because you're always angry. God does not punish sin, sin punishes sin. This is gonna bite the heels out of us, Oprah. This attitude of self-centeredness is gonna come back and get us because self-centeredness simply destroys itself. Well, I've never heard it put that way before,
1: that people are not as much pro-life as they are pro-birth, which is true if you don't wanna spend the money in order to take care of the children once the children are here.
2: Why don't you wanna spend the money? Because you want the, the tax break. You want the tax break. You don't want to pay for education in this country. That's gonna come back and bite us because people can't afford it anymore. And we're gonna pretty soon be without a level of intellectualism in this country that can bring us beyond all of these issues. It boils down to,
1: again, your beautiful articulation of national self-centeredness. What got us to here? How, how did we lose our way? or does it even matter at this moment how we got here?
2: Well, we got here because we have managed to keep the population happy without educating them to the under issues. Look at this year's proposed budget. The profits of budget reform will tell you that we are about to balance the national budget on the backs of women and children. Now, women and children are, in, are non-existent on an accountant's sheet. We don't have any of those there. We have income, outcome, and profit, right? So once you take this bottom part of, of humanity and you deny women childcare, hey, guess whose profits go up? Deny children education. Guess whose profits go up? De- deny your 80-year-old mother a pill she can afford, guess whose profits go up. We started there. This is where it comes from. This whole notion that the successful person is, is the person who can sustain themselves without caring for anybody else. hmm You say on page 46, the
1: pressure to be quiet, because that's what's happening. It's the silenced people, the people not speaking up. And we see this from Congress to our very own neighborhoods, Mm -hmm. right? The pressure to be quiet, to let other people, the politicians, the neighbors, the experts, say how we feel about things is very effective. And then on page 54, you say, it's finding the courage to utter the first word of truth in public that takes all the strength we can muster. It's learning to say quietly, unequivocally, I think differently about that.
2: I think we're kind of, when when you talk about silence and, and that the courage it takes to say, I think differently about that. I think That shouldn't take courage. That should be part of the soul of humanity waiting to hear the insights of someone else's soul. But, but you see how quickly we responded as a people to we're gonna win and win and win until you're sick of winning. We're not here to win. We're here to grow. We're here to develop. We're here, we're here to to leave the world a better place when we go because we've been here. And you only do that through civil discourse. And you only do that when everybody wins. Yeah, that's right. Whenever, and you if listen. only you're winning, nobody yeah. else can win. You yes. and I could sit here in front of a good poker table, and we could put an issue on the table, and and we may find the more we talk that, gee, I I never thought of it that way, or no, no, I I don't think that's going to work. Okay, tell me why you think it's. Civil discourse takes yes. us into the heart of something so that we can come out of it with more heart and more mind which than is, we had before. Which
1: is one of the beautiful reasons and rewards. For me, all those years during the Oprah show, and why I continue to have these conversations is to create those moments where I love that when that happens. I love it when it happens to me, and I love it when it happens to someone else. I never thought of it that way before. When you get to the, I never thought of it that way before. My mind gets to open up, get to expand a little bigger, my heart gets more open.
2: I never thought of it that way before. Well, you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, Who grew me like this? When they say, Oprah, how did you get where you are? Yeah. The answer is, I listened to you. Yes, I listened to everything. So around many voices. Me.
1: Yes, yes, yes. And
2: I became a bigger, grander, better person. person because of it. And you know, I I look at you. I'm, I hope I'm allowed to say this because. It's, it's, so, it's so meaningful and serious for me. You realize, I'm gonna go back. If you and I were back in the third century, we'd be sitting on the porch of one of the Greek temples, right. and we would be talking about, what do you think beauty is? What is kindness? What is love? What, what is a government? We, we would be using one another to, to flesh out this, this, the facet of this diamond of life. We don't do that anymore, we fight. Mm -hmm. We fight. Everything, everything is an angry disputation. I'm right, you're wrong. As a result, you, my dear philosopher, have the only good program that we've ever had. You have saved thought in this nation for years. But at the same time, we're so, we're so divided. We're segmented. we, We do not see... That's why I talk about the separation of mind and soul. Yes. You can talk about anything in your mind, and you can get away with it, but you cannot say a spiritual idea and where it came from and have anybody listen with respect in this country.
1: It's true. It's true. And I think you're right. This show is one of the only places I know where people have a ideas. discourse about ideas yeah. Yeah. that are related to the soul right. and to the heart, and right. trying to expand that. So, thank you for that acknowledgement. You write about how moral decisions impact our spirituality on page 60. You say we're in a moral moment again. Every moment is a moral moment because every moment involves a decision. The point is that we cannot now stop asking these questions and be authentically spiritual.
2: It's a moral moment. It's a moral moment. Yeah. And every moral moment demands a choice, which is why I talk very early in the book, I think. Yeah, you start the book. That is, we have a choice. About
1: choice. Yes, we
2: have a choice. We have a choice. Yes. And every great moral moment gives you three opportunities, and you can see them very clearly in our society. The first kind of choice is the choice that says, not me, I'm not getting into that. Mm-hmm. Let them handle it, that's not my problem. I'm out of here, uh, I, I got the kids and, and uh, the horses and the ponies and the racetrack. Uh, I, I don't do that. I've got the square footage and the pool and the car that's and it. all the things, that it, yeah. I, I don't get into that yeah. political stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. That's your first choice, yes. is to ignore it and go your own way as if you really are an independent member of society and humanity. Your second possible choice is to is to just, you can roll over, mm-hmm. you can succumb. You say, Sister Joan, that's the way it is now. It's just different now. I'm not talking about going back to the 19th century, for God's sake, what would be good about that? I'm talking about making the 21st century a, a glowing, growing moment for everybody. That's all I want. However, the person who makes the choice to roll over says, let them do it. I'm sure it'll all come out all right. That's what they said in 1939. There was too much silence in 1939, yes. mm-hmm. and it wrecked all of Europe. We're sitting in a, in a cesspool of silence instead of getting into the national conversation because only a moral national conversation can bring us through to another level of political humanity as well as spiritual humanity, which is your third choice. Your third choice is to deal with it. Study it, develop it, form a group, join a group, uh, support something, say, I, this is how I want to do my part in this development.
1: Yeah, yeah. get engaged in some way. Yeah, get engaged. You, You say on page 99 of The Time Is Now, after we've said our prayers and checked the news, shaken our heads over it and turned off the TV, commentators in despair and disgust, which I hear so many people talking about, we suddenly remember someone who needs the help we've just read about. Then we ask ourselves what we really stand for and what we've done to prove it. At that moment, we either become prophets or simply churchgoers. And that is the ultimate question, the question we all must answer. And you, what are you going to do about it?
2: It's that simple, Oprah. It's this that is simple. This not complex. Yeah. This, this is... was a wake-up
1: call for me. I mean, I read this oh. and I thought, gee, I am not doing enough. Oh,
2: dear. I
1: am not doing enough. No. Oh. I am not doing enough. No. And you're going to see a change, even with me. I'm telling you, I was so moved by this book and so proud of you for having the courage to tell us how we are headed for real despair. That's right. And real trouble. We are in trouble, America. We are in trouble. Serious trouble. And everybody talks about it in the pundits. And what bothers me so is that The left and the right are equally hysterical and solving absolutely
2: nothing. Nothing, nothing. We need a a political moment where they sit down and uh, have just one weekly conversation on what are we here for yeah, and yeah. What, what are can we, we doing? do? What
1: can we do? Yes, I know. I've turned off the news because yeah. it's just ridiculous.
2: Well, you're at the point where you know that if I say this sentence to a Republican, yes, that fire starts, if this, I say this, this sentence person, to a Democrat, yes. the other fire starts, it's killing us. It's going to burn this country to, to dust. And so,
1: where do we begin? I love the turning off, because everybody's had that moment. You, say, I don't watch the news, no, particularly that... at night, but you shake your head and you think, mm-hmm. somebody ought to do something, and then you
2: get in bed and you forget about it. That was a real moment for me. Yes. I, I didn't even realize that that sentence had gotten into the book, but I, I, I did teach history as a young sister when yes. I was teaching high school. And I loved it, and the kids loved it. We, it was storytelling time, it was great. So I've been kind of a news freak yes. all my life, yes. right? And now I see this moment happening around me and I'm I'm out with these wonderful groups of people and I have discovered two things. You either don't dare say one word Because it will split this thing right down the middle instead of opening a conversation that is grasping. People feel this even in their own families. Even in their own families. You can't even bring it up. No, no. Uh, Thanksgiving is more fraught than it's ever been in history. Yes. And then you find yourself without a country without a home, without a planet. And I began to hear people say, I don't watch the news anymore, I just can't take it. It's too much, it makes me nervous, I get tense. And I said, there it is, John. Nobody is discussing anything. And discussing it has become, uh, debating it, and debating it has become win or lose. And so, here we are. Yeah, you're only debating it to prove that I'm right. Yeah, that's right. Yes, And I'm simply saying to people, would you pick this stuff up? Would you read it seriously? And if you're not a reader, would you find somebody who is, who sit down, bring five people together, say, what is going on here? How can we help? What do we need to do? Get in to the public conversation.
1: Yeah, that is what you're saying. The time is now to do. Yeah. And if you don't, this moment is going to pass us by, and the moment is going to get Worse.
2: Well, we're on the verge of an emperor right now. How much further, how many more years do you think we can go, relieving ourselves of the responsibility to check on our own representatives, senators, local commissioners, everybody? They're there for us. What are they doing? What did they do in the township? What did it do to well, the Well, and all the silence is because people just want to
1: keep their jobs. They want to be uh, more, they, they're yeah. more interested in being popular than they actually are in serving the public. Maybe. And they think if they speak their own truth, they will no longer have the position. I
2: was just gonna say, it is a popularity in the truest sense of the emotional meaning. It's keep my job. They start running for, for the position the yes. day after the they day get after, the first right? One. They're just trying to keep it. All they do. Yes, that's right. All th- that's all they do is run for public <laughs> office. Yes.
1: Well, you are saying it. You are saying, I was going to say if you could say anything to, you know, the people in government now, but it's not the people in government. It's actually us.
2: It's us. And what I would want to say to us is, is clear. We're at a transition moment. It's obvious. Mm-hmm. I, I started with that. The world as I grew up in it, the world that taught me is is no longer with us. We' we are facing now this misty gray. What happens on the other side of this bridge we will build. We will either build or not build. yeah what we want to have happen we have got to begin to press for not in any angry way, but in an obvious and open and loving
1: way what you encourage us to do is to use anger
2: as a holy moment. Oh. yes. I see anger as grace. I'm a woman. Don't tell me not to be angry about the suppression of women everywhere, all colors, all languages, all places. I know what women are living in. And I wouldn't give up that anger for anything. It's fuel. It will keep me going in behalf of women 10 inches away from the edge of the grave. I will not stop. Because we need, without that anger, we're losing half the human race. Yes. We have half the human race deciding what the other half should do. Well, you must also be very angry about how the Catholic Church,
1: in yeah. particular, has treated women, how the Catholic Church has looked at oh,
2: there, ab- I, abuse, moving people from diocese to diocese. Oh. I mean, you must be very angry about those well, things. Well, I can't, I can't tell you. I mean, that's, that's just almost without, there are no words for that. How do I deal with it? I see the institution and its 2,000-year history yes. uh, mottled. Uh, I mean, this, this, this institution split 400 years ago over exactly that kind of stuff. And then I see the Jesus story. And I know I was raised in this institution that had kept the Jesus story for me for that I'll always be grateful mm-hmm. and that's what I want for the church and I will keep pressing for it in the church and know it is not fully alive there yet and has been disgraced in many ways but this story drives me on this Jesus story and now what will the, you whole, do? Jesus. the, the whole, whole Jesus the
1: whole Jesus story. not just uh, what you what you've left us here with today and I thought so profound is a lot of people want to follow the healing Jesus yes. Not the Jesus that encompasses and opens himself, itself, the Christ self to every living human
2: being. Jesus the prophet. Jesus the prophet. The The one who confronted those who were oppressing any part of church or society in his time, fearlessly.
1: The virtual life you speak of on page 70 resonates so authentically with me. You say in this era, we watch con men define themselves as wealthy when their accountants know that they owe more than they could ever pay. We watch politicians posturing from one interview to the next, pretending to have answers, though nothing changes for the people they serve. We see television personalities posing as experts, as if they really had the influence with which they are being credited. We watch bureaucrats in big cars pretending to be important. What is it that is really real? Is all of life virtual now? Seldom actual? Always part scam, part play? Still the world goes on yearning for the genuine. So beautifully said. And so as we yearn for the genuine, each of us has to look for that within our own selves and step up to what you call uncommon courage.
2: Uncommon courage, the courage we're not seeing now. That, that simple, honest, truthful, sincere moment when I'm able to say, I think differently about that. Sister Joan, thank God you so bless much. You, God well, bless I you for this
1: sermon done. this morning. Well, <laughs> thank you for I, the I, sermon. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening.